Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 263. With that number, we give a shout out to the 263 goals scored in the 2016 NWSL regular season. Lynn Williams scored 11 of those goals, grabbing the golden boot. Kalia Ohai also had 11 goals, and Jesse McDonald was right behind those two, netting 10 on the season. Note that each team that season played just 20 games as the season was shortened a bit due to the 2016 Olympics. All right, two chats today. First with Susie Rance from Sounder at Heart up in the Pacific Northwest. Susie and I talked about the Reigns' very challenging 2019 season and the various pieces that came together to help them clinch another playoff berth and, of course, deny Portland uh, the right of having a semifinal home game. And then I spoke with Harjit Johal, who covers Canadian women's soccer for Equalizer. And we talked about the team's upcoming friendly in Japan, why Canada doesn't play more friendlies, especially at home, and what's ahead for the team in 2020. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Susie Rance, contributor for Sounder at Heart, which should tell you where she's coming from. But just to be clear, up from the Pacific Northwest covering Rain FC, Susie, what an incredible season for for the rain. It's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? (laughs) Um, I think I mean, there's there's so many things that have defined the season for the rain, but returning once again to the playoffs is the most exciting thing for them at the moment. And I like that uh, they got it done in kind of pretty exciting fashion Mm -hmm. these last, these last few weeks, especially these last couple of games, clinching a playoff berth on national TV. The first game that the rain had first national TV game that the rain have hosted since 2015. So that's gotta be pretty satisfying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, that's that's certainly one part of um, their story for the year is um, the move to Tacoma from Seattle, um, and being at Cheney Stadium this year uh, was more favorable for national broadcast. Um, so, so they got they got it for the biggest game of the year against their rivals, and and got the victory and the playoff clinching victory all, all in one. So uh, what more can you ask for, for, for a national TV game? Well, and uh, I was a little surprised to see that it was the reverse angle, meaning that yeah. the angle that we see on the streams, uh, because TV obviously has more budget, uh, they were able to set up cameras on the other side. And what I loved about that was seeing a whole angle of Cheney Stadium that I hadn't seen before because mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't been up there yet. So I was like, wow, that looks really cool. Yeah, getting to see all the supporters that have been showing up um, was really awesome. It's one thing you don't get to see on the the, the other streams because the angle comes from from the stands. So that was that was really cool to to see on on national broadcast. So let's go back a little bit uh, earlier in the season. Just um, pick out a few moments or or trends that you think are are really significant to the rain success this season 
yeah, I think I think the biggest talking point that most people have really highlighted is the the large injury list and the number of injuries the team has had. I think the bigger picture there is when those injuries came into who um, that really defined how how resilient this team had to be. Um, so you wanted a ton of momentum at the start of the season, right? Heading into the World Cup where you're going to lose the rain lost eight players. Um, and they were without two of their strongest players and Steph Catley and Megan Rapino, who were both dealing with injuries at the start of the season. Um, so kind of having to overcome that from the very beginning. Um, and then you send off some of your best players to the World Cup. Um, and the rain really did focus last year in building some strong young depth that could fill in during that break. Um, but then you lose your starting goalkeeper um, to a season-ending injury in Michelle Betos. And um, thank goodness the team had on had been able to sign Casey Murphy right around that time. Um, and Murphy was just supposed to be a World Cup time replacement for Lydia Williams. Yeah, more of a um, longer term signing. Like, let's, mm-hmm. we can get her now. She can serve as a backup for while Lydia Williams is gone. And that was really an investment in the future. Uh, but then <laughs> Michelle Betos gets hurt and Murphy has to start her first week being in Tacoma against the courage. <laughs> so <laughs> welcome to NWSL. <laughs> But but the rain pulled out a win, and Murphy's been super consistent. And, um, it's been really a joy to see her grow. Um, and the one other the one other really high and then real big low during the World Cup break was the team got Jess Fishlock back from her loan to Lyon, where right. she won every award possible that you can win, including a Champions League title, um, and came back and really just changed the dynamic of the team immediately. Um, um, in the month of June, they were scoring more. They were so much more dynamic. They were eking out wins that they shouldn't have. And then she goes down with an ACL tear. Um, yeah, so two of her that- three goals were game winners. And then, right. boom, she's out. So to lose that, like, heart and, like, the like that grit that you had in the midfield was a huge gap. And, and so I think those injuries and the time that they came um, and made it, so much harder for the team to grit out wins. Um, but they were, they were really tactically prepared every time they went into a match, whether they were pressing hard or really sitting back and defending like you have to do against the courage. Um, um, but they just found a way to kind of be pretty consistent over the year. And here we are talking about them going to the playoffs. Well, and I, I'm, I'm always impressed with Vlako Nanovsky's ability to put players in different positions or find new players to sign who I Mm -hmm. I have to believe might not sign for other clubs. Um, You know, to see the reinforcements that the rain were able to bring in in July with, you know, Rosie white fresh off the women's world cup, Mm -hmm. um, Rebecca Quinn, Skylar debris, you know, it's like all those signings kind of happened all at once at the press yeah. release for them. I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and, and I like to see a club taking full advantage of the expanded roster rules because yeah. let's, let's try to put these injuries in perspective. If it were last year where your maximum roster is 20 um, and there are no supplemental spots. Now we're at maximum roster 22 plus four 
supplemental spots. Um, so e- even with some players on the temporary injured list, you've got a deeper roster. And obviously, if a player has a season-ending injury, you're allowed to sign a replacement player. So mm-hmm. last time I did the math, uh, Rain have like 32 players signed because, yep. because of course there's six there's there's six season ending injuries on there, uh, but they're using the maximum number of roster spaces, and there's not a lot of clubs that are, that are doing that. And I know not every club can afford to, or maybe you can't find the right player. You know, you're holding that international slot open to find the right player. You know, there's there's all kinds of reasons, but I just I was really impressed by that. And and when you think about the jump in roster size. Really, six per team, nine teams. That's fifty-four spots, you know, across the league. I'd love to see all of those filled because what does that do? That that's fifty-four more people than last year who were being paid to play soccer. Right, and you look at just how how hard it is to make it onto an NWSL roster right now. Um, it's incredibly difficult. Um, teams have to waive players all the time because of it. So just to have the that flexibility would be would be huge and we've seen it for for the rain and to give uh, a player who who maybe is not ready to start out of college or from wherever they've been signed like that gives them more developmental time where they don't necessarily have to be a starter or even an impact sub yet but mm-hmm. they can be signed and they can be training at professional level you know week in week out and just getting exposed to something that they wouldn't wouldn't otherwise, but, but back specifically to the rain, um, I don't want to say it was a turnaround in August because we saw some big losses too, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I think how, how you talked about it, like, you know, gritting out wins. Um, and also there must be a mentality piece to it. Um, maybe in how Vlatko manages the squad that, they never seem to give up. Yeah, I mean, I think he he specifically looks for players that have a certain mentality um, that are just willing to work incredibly hard, do whatever is possible for the team. That's something that they look for in addition to like filling talent gaps and skill gaps. Um, so, so I assume all these players that have been brought in were vetted with that first. Um, and I mean, the other thing is. Uh, I haven't, I have heard the word used very naturally by every player that we've talked to this year, that this is a family, like that dynamic was set up so clearly and it comes from Vlatko. He just loves and cares about these players as individuals, as human beings. And I think when you, you get such individualized technical and tactical support, but you're treated, um, treated in such a way that it's just so easy to buy in and say, I'm going to go to any playing time this year, but I know exactly the role I'm playing on this team and I know how important I am. Um, And he really sets that tone um, across the board. And, And that's such a huge piece of success on the field, though we can't see it as media, as fans, as anybody following the game you can only see the results of it or you can see the lack of it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, the more I've seen behind the scenes of, of soccer over the years, both, you know, men's and, and women's, when I see a team that's you think should be a high performer and isn't, 
you know, more and more I'm thinking, okay, it's just got to be a shit show behind the scenes. Right. You know, or, or there, or there's that missing piece of like connectivity with the coach or, 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 or something, because it's not as simple as why well, these great players and boom, I put them on the field and everything works. Mm-hmm. So the, I, yeah, the, the rain story, I just think has been so fascinating this season. And then this month, uh, we get lots of extra drama. Uh, we get the <laughs> incredible weather delay game early in the month. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got the privilege of calling that game, which means we oh, didn't leave you the studio. <laughs> yeah, which means we didn't leave the studio in Florida till like two thirty. Oh morning. my god! But hey, I'm always happy to get the game called as opposed to like come come back the next day and start over for sure. Yeah, yeah and I'm and, sure the rain were thrilled that the that the lightning finally stopped two hours later because. They were running on a 3-0 lead at that point. And yeah. We to start all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so exciting drama, you know, weather, weather delay, but they still get the win. And then you have the game on, it's supposed to be on the 18th. And I was supposed to call that one too. And before we even got into the studio, they're like, Oh, looks like it's canceled. And, and I'm mm-hmm. looking at my weather map. I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> you know, so, you know, I only heard a, a little bit of it, but it sounded like it was pretty bad field conditions resulting from what there had been some bad weather. And it was like new sod going down because it was end of baseball season or, or something. But yeah, and the, the, the USL team, the Tacoma Defiance had played the night before. And so that can always make it a little harder to do any turnaround maintenance. Um, mm. And then it, it just poured overnight. I don't remember what the inches were, but it was enormous amounts. It poured okay, overnight. So, so it was and torn up the night, the night before yeah. and then mm-hmm. poured. So anything that was loose got really loose. Yeah. And they just couldn't, they just, I guess, don't have the technology they have in North Carolina to get the field to drain quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, couldn't get into a place where, where the league felt comfortable playing. Well, I was just pleased that it was announced like well before kickoff because in the past we've seen some of that stuff happen right around kickoff. Yeah, yeah. So, we had some so, folks we heard who were already on their way, but that's just because it can sometimes in rush hour take a while to get right, to the Right, because yeah. it's a weeknight game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was scheduled for the following Wednesday, um, but before that, Rain have another home game that mm-hmm. weekend. Hosting Sky Blue, surprisingly, lost 1-0 to Sky Blue. Yeah, it's um, – reflecting on that game, it was just one of those – take it and move on, I guess. Rapino had created 10 chances. Bethany Balser wow. had 10 shots. Um, wow. And they could not manage to score. It was just like, how did – 10 chances created. <laughs> not a single goal to show for it. But it was interesting. I know we'll get to Utah in a moment. But um, Vlatko actually said after the Utah game that he was a little more worried about Sky Blue than Utah. I think just – the rain had, had just struggled in the same way to finish against – Sky Blue when they played on the road. They just haven't put in their best performances, and I just don't think they matched up well against them. So um, he he was a little more worried about Sky Blue than he was about Utah, and it proved to be right. <laughs> <laughs> and then turn around from that game again, 
trying to host Utah on the 25th, able to get that game played, but without Megan Rapino because, of course, she had won the FIFA award Monday night in Milan. I doubt there's a direct flight from Milan to Seattle, Tacoma. Um, you know, that that's going to really, I think, push her body to the limits uh, to, to fly that long. So no Megan Rapino in that game, but rain pull off a victory. So talk about that game. Yeah, it was um, a really fun one to watch from a tactical perspective. Um, uh, a month or so ago, Utah just um, destroyed the rain. It was a 3-1 result. And while Kristen Press didn't get on the score sheet that game, she was the best player on the field by miles, creating everything for them. And the only way the rain could really stop her was to pull her jersey. Um <laughs> And um, the interesting tactical switch they really made this game was to focus on pushing press as wide as possible, um, getting her away from the box where she's dangerous, not letting her get the ball in the middle of the field and carry it up the field. Um, so everything was sort of done with that in mind, and they really did limit her her looks on goal. And I think when Kristen Press isn't creating, Utah really struggles. Um, and we saw that in the game. Um, so just like purely a team well done tactical execution that's what Black really reflected on the after the game is they did exactly what I asked them to do and that's why we got the result and then turning around once again a few days later to have another home game this one on national tv against the biggest rival now sure rain had pulled off two one zero victories against Portland earlier in the season but you know, you can't just go, oh, yeah, we beat him again. This one will come easy. Um, and it seemed like a pretty tough match. Uh, but so talk about the highlights of that game for you. I think um, I was actually surprised. I thought Portland may come out a lot more aggressive just knowing they've struggled and the, they had struggled in the last three games. Um they have they had only scored one goal in the month and I just thought they might come out with a little more fire despite the fact that they didn't have they had well they had home field advantage to play for um, right, right and I just thought they came out a little bit flat-footed and the rain really dominated the first 20 minutes in terms of possession creating chances really pressuring um, Portland's back line and I just have to say I think my one of my standout players was Kristen McNabb in the midfield who just won every ball in the center of the field and um, helped the team keep smart possession. And it allowed like it allowed Ali Long and allowed Bevianis to be more aggressive in the attack and, and with the press um, that I think made a huge difference. Uh, the other thing is we're like we're really starting to see the Megan Rapino we've seen before back um, from her injury. Uh, she created so many chances. Again, didn't get on the score sheet, but she was whipping in the kind of balls we expect from Rapino in the first half. And I think having her on the field just makes teams have to defend the rain in such a different way than they've been used to this season. You have to pay right. attention to her, which means that Jody Taylor has been um, more open for, for better shots. And it's not that she hasn't been making those runs um, earlier in the season, but but she's getting better looks on goal since Rapino's been back and she's been, she just got rewarded with player of the week um, and has been um, looking like, I think the Jody Taylor we hoped would show up this year. And so now you've got the FIFA break this week. Um, I'm 
thinking that Rapino shouldn't play very much <laughs> in the national <laughs> team games, but but who knows? Yeah, um, hard to and know. Then, and then the final week of the regular season, it's rain at Orlando. And mm-hmm. what what's still in play is who goes to Chicago for the playoffs and who goes to North Carolina. Yeah. So a rain win combined with a, a Portland tire loss means Seattle goes to Chicago. Otherwise, they're going to North Carolina. Do you have a preference? Um, both teams are hard, and neither team have the rain haven't really played either team incredibly well this season. Um, when when the courage were what I would say more average earlier in the year, um, <laughs> um, the the rain did beat them, um, but they have been blown out by Chicago twice also. <laughs> so I think that you can't want to play the courage right now looking at them and how they're playing and they haven't lost a game at home all season um but honestly either is just gonna be so tough yeah it's i mean yeah it's six of one half half dozen of yeah yeah Um, i think the rain have actually done a pretty good job this year being able to contain sam kerr but um she's also heating up at the moment which isn't helpful for opponents at all (laughs) well any last thoughts on on the season in general or what what we should look for in the playoffs well i think um the one the one thing we haven't talked about but a lot of folks are is just the incredible story of bethany balser um you know, coming out of the NAIA and going undrafted and being the Reigns leading scorer and just growing so much this season under Vladko. It's been um, really fun to see her shine. And um, there's just so many other young players that have really stepped up. Um, and that was exactly what Vladko wanted this year is to incorporate a younger um, younger squads really set them up well this year, but for the future, and you're starting to see that. So hopefully they can all have um, a really strong impact in the playoffs as well. Now, have you talked to Vlatko about he's not allowed to leave Rain FC? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's it would be an incredible it would be incredible for the U.S. Women's National Team. I think he'd be fantastic. Um, but I would hate to see him leave the rain. I think he's got so much more to do here to, to do in Tacoma still. I always love um, talking to him when we prep for the draft in, in January, just the oh. way he talks about, I'm looking for a player that has something special. And, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a singular definition of something special. Right. You know, yeah. as long as the player has something that he thinks he can add, to you know that will contribute to the whole package he can work on everything else well that's so funny you mentioned that because i talked to him in the preseason um when they came to portland for the the preseason invitational and he uh, i hadn't really paid much attention i'll be honest to bethany balser she was on the preseason roster i didn't really think much of it um and we were chatting and he goes, this Bethany Balser, she's really interesting to me. Um, and talked to though about he was a little, not concerned, but he really wanted to focus on the mental side of the game of not turning off if you lose the ball or if the play is away from you. 
and mm-hmm. um, really wanting to work on that. And in her final home postseason press conference, I asked her what part of the game she's focused on the most, and that's what she proactively shared as well. Um, and um, it's just cool to see that come come to life and see a player really take the challenge and embrace it. So um, it's it's yeah, like you said, it's really fun to see his mind work. I don't think I've met anyone who loves and pays attention to and is a nerd about soccer as much as Slotko. <laughs> well said. Well, Susie, maybe so you, much. Jen. Oh, well, different kind of nerd. Different yeah. kind of nerd. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks so much for taking the time to, uh, you know, cover the rain and to chat with me about their fascinating season. And I definitely look forward to watching them in the playoffs. Yeah, thanks. It was fun to chat with you. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Harjeet Johal, who covers Canada soccer for Equalizer Soccer and a few other outlets. Har, I really liked uh, your article from a couple weeks ago about Canada, kind of, you know, simply put, why doesn't Canada play more games? So, so why don't we start with that topic with we finally have Canada playing their first game since the World Cup, which I guess their last game was late June. You know, here it is several months later. They're finally playing a game and they're playing a game in Japan. So, so tell me what's up with that. It's a million dollar question that we would all like to know the answer to, but we don't really have too much information. Uh, We talked to the coach and he put it down, some of it down to uh, the European teams being in Euro qualifying. So they're not available to come and play matches. The windows are already pretty tight. And I believe he was at a FIFA study about the World Cup and some of the coaches there were talking about how their teams had played in the September window and they felt that it was too soon to get back on the pitch, too soon to have their teams come together and get back to playing. So uh, coach kind of pushed it aside a little bit. He's happy that they're playing uh, Japan this weekend. So he feels that it's the right fit for his team. But if you look at some other teams, and I know Brazil and Chile and a lot of the European teams and Team USA, they've played a lot of games. And Canada, well, Canada has not. And I feel like if they don't, they're going to keep falling behind some of the big powers in women's football. Well, and and I kind of see the point of it's too soon, but I only think that applies for the European calendar where, um, you know, following the Women's World Cup, say you play it all the way through through the final four. So you play through the first weekend in July, you get, you know, maybe three weeks off and then you join your club and then you've got preseason matches kind of starting mid-August. So yeah, you might be kind of tied up with club stuff and maybe it's too soon. But when you look at the the bulk of the Canadian roster where it's either coming out of college, um, NCAA or um, NWSL, you know, of course you've got the European players like Ashley Lawrence and Kadisha Buchanan, you know, and Janine Becky. But I, but I feel like that that European argument doesn't necessarily hold true for, for the Canadian roster. Now it is hard to find opponents when you look at the the European schedule for Euro qualifying. Yeah. Most of your teams are booked, but not every team because obviously, Hey, Brazil, you know, has this, 
has a friendly against France or they did have a friendly against France. Mexico is not doing anything right now. You know, um, you've there, there's the groups for Euro qualifying. Most of them are odd number groups, which means somebody's sitting out every, every cycle, but but yeah, I mean, he has to probably answer as diplomatically as he can, right? Yeah, well, I, I guess he's got to stick with what he believes in and what uh, the CSA is able to work with and what they're able to do. So from his vantage point, I feel like he feels that what he's doing is right and they have a plan and they're going to stick to it. But from a fan perspective, you see the World Cup, you see your favorite players, you want to see them again, you want to see them in action and when they take three and a half months to play another game they lose the momentum the fans lose a little bit of interest so I, I feel like they should have at least maybe played one game in September but uh, I guess we'll find out how they look and how cohesive they are against Japan and when this game was announced this game in Japan um, this weekend I guess it was announced what three four weeks ago uh, did they say anything else about what the plan is leading up to the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament that we know will be sometime late January, early February? They would like to play a friendly match in the November window, but at the moment they have nothing scheduled. They have nothing with a concrete plan. I know coach was wanting to play uh, another game before the qualifying tournament in January, but we haven't heard anything announced and it's already, or it's already early October. So uh, the clock is ticking. If it was going to be a home friendly, I would like to have think that it would be announced by now, but I feel like it's going to be away from Canada. So we'll find out if they are able to plan something and when and who the opponent is. If you look back for throughout the 2019 calendar year, they will have played one home game in Canada if they don't play in the November window at home. And I think that's such a fascinating contrast when, you know, you look at what's going on with the U.S. women's national team and their battle, um, part of their battle with U.S. soccer is trying to reduce the number of friendlies that they play because U.S. soccer's argument has been, well, that's how we fund the team, right? So part of me wants to think, well, wouldn't it benefit – Canada soccer financially if there were one or two more home games? I think it would benefit the the team and the fans tremendously if they were able to play more games, have more training camps, work on tactics, do maybe some stuff with the fans in the community at events, and just have a, a feeling of the team coming together and getting ready for qualifying off the momentum they built at the World Cup. So I feel like it would be a win-win situation for everyone around. But for some reason, they, they're not quick to schedule games. And I know it's been like that for a long time. It's not a new thing. So we'll have to see if they plan something or what, what the strategy is going forward. And so your thoughts on this roster when it was announced, it didn't seem significantly different from a lot of previous Canada rosters, right? It's quite similar to the team we saw at the World Cup. Obviously, Diana Matheson and Aaron McLeod are still not fully fit, so they're not going to be brought back 
right away. They still are part of the team and they're working towards getting back for 2020. Now, I know you being in Houston, you maybe have more information on Michelle Prince. I know she had her knee surgery and they're hoping to get her back soon. So she's probably the biggest uh, player not on the roster that was part of the World Cup. And so what are your thoughts on, on them facing a team like Japan? I mean, I was, I was impressed that at least with this game, um, they were able to schedule something against a quality opponent. Yeah, Japan's going to be a really strong test. They can move the ball like tech, technicians. They're really fast. They have a lot of pace. They're very quick going forward. And I think Canada's going to have to use their height. They're going to have to use their strength in the box to maybe win some aerial battles. I know Japan, they, they surprised a lot of teams at the World Cup. And I think I think they really should have beaten the Netherlands. It was, it was the Netherlands who snuck in a late win there. But I think Japan right. could have very easily been in uh, the final. But... It'll be a strong test for Canada, and I'm curious to see how they perform after the long layoff, if there's any rust at all. And then, uh, you know, we, we've seen CONCACAF qualifying for the Olympics before. Two teams go historically, at least back through 2008, you know, so 2008, 2012, 2016. It's been USA and Canada taking those two slots. I don't really see... Um, any of the other teams being in a position to challenge them for this slot. You know, it's, it's not like World Cup qualifying where there's a third slot and then a playoff slot. Um, you know, as we saw with the semifinals in World Cup qualifying, USA and Canada handily demolished Jamaica and Panama in those games. And then, of course, Jamaica and Panama fought for that third place slot. Um, I don't really see anything changing. Do you? I, I mean, we haven't seen much uh, from Mexico, they did play in um, the the Pan Am Games this summer, uh, finishing fifth. I think Costa Rica was third, but like just you know, I think there's still both of those teams that that we've seen go to the World Cup before. I think they're still kind of in rebuilding cycles, so I I don't foresee a lot of surprises in in, in Olympic qualifying. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I don't think Costa Rica and Mexico are there yet to take a game off the U.S. or Canada. I mean, it's been Canada and USA forever. So I think it'll be those two teams in the final, and I think it's their spots to lose. So yeah. I'm expecting both those countries to qualify for the Olympics and anything if anything else happens, it would be a monumental upset. So I see those two teams in the final and they can renew the rivalry again. And then of course we can't ignore the, the, the big stat that's just been waiting there um, since before the world cup, since during the world cup. And I know Fox was hoping that, that this record could be broken during the world cup, but Christine Sinclair sitting on 182 international goals. We know um, she's nowhere near, um, you know, finishing her career. I mean, she's had a solid, another solid season for Portland Thorns, leading them in scoring. So, you know, we could see, I mean, there, there is that outside chance, you know, that Canada has a, an incredible game in Japan and Sinclair gets a hat trick and boom, she's at 105 international goals, but, uh, as you were saying before we started record, recording, would anybody see it? 
I mean, if they have the app or they're on CanadaSoccer.com, they might see it. But the game starts at 10.30 in Vancouver. And if you're in the East Coast, you're just coming home from the bar. So I don't know if Canadians <laughs> will even know that Canada's playing. And if Sinclair gets a hat trick, who's going to see it? I, I think she maybe will be able to get one goal. I think it's more likely that she breaks the record in January in Olympic qualifying against one of those CONCACAF minnows that we see Canada usually beat up on the regular. So she might be right. able to make a goal, but it, it would be rare if she got a hat-trick. But again, it's Christine Sinclair, so anything is possible. So we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. Especially facing a Japanese team that's, Pretty young, um, you know, has been taking a lot of risks over the last year, even with uh, World Cup qualification. Like they, they took a lot of young and experienced players. And so I would assume that um, some of that experimentation would continue, given that Japan does not have to qualify for the Olympics as they're hosting. So here's a perfect time to experiment, right? Exactly, exactly. I, I, I recall at the previous she believes cup they brought a really young roster yes experimental parts and it wasn't japan's top top team but there's still really really good quality players on there so i don't think we'll see that level but i think we'll see japan try and tinker and try and try and do some new things out there so that could be something to see but again i know as as you probably know, Japan's a really proud country, a really proud team. I don't think they're going to want to give up two or three goals to Christine no. Sinclair. So I can see no. them marking her, making it a big effort to make sure she doesn't get any goals. And I, I do look forward to, you know, when she breaks that mark. I, and, and I say when instead of if, because I, I can't imagine any scenario where she doesn't eventually pass that. And, and I do like the idea that maybe it happens during – uh, CONCACAF Olympic qualifying because CONCACAF can really, really run with that. I mean, think about it. How many of the top all-time goal scorers have come out of CONCACAF? You know? So yeah. so hopefully they can do something with that. Uh, it, would so, spe- it would have been spectacular if Canada was able to play a game in November at home in Christine's backyard. Maybe she could have broken it in front of friends and family in yes. Vancouver. That makes tremendous sense, but again, yes. probably not going to see that. Yes, yes, but uh, maybe maybe we should keep our fingers crossed. It's not too late to, to schedule a last-minute November friendly, maybe, hopefully. We'll, we'll just have to see, but it does sound like this weekend's game, if people want to stay up for it, depending on what time zone they're in, um, they will be able to watch on CanadaSoccer.com. Yes, I believe so. That's great. That That's huge because a lot of times when games are played abroad, you know, and the broadcast is kind of obviously left to the host country, then, you know, there, there's not always a, a, a local broadcast that you can access. So it's, it's great because I know there's so many NWSL fans, even if they don't necessarily follow or root for Canada specifically, they're attached to one of those players right because they play for their club team or they just like that player and you know you want you want to be able to watch that so so last thoughts harjeet just um you know with kenneth heiner moeller taking over what was that almost almost two years ago what would be two years ago in january they took over for john herdman um looks like he'll be with the team for a while i mean how do you feel about him as head coach for canada 
I think maybe he needs to change his tactics a little bit. They played Sweden. Uh, they played Sweden in March, and then they played them at the World Cup, and they used the same the tactics where they went to three at the back, and they didn't score in either games. And I think it was maybe a little bit dangerous to not have four defenders against a strong, speedy, pacey Swedish squad. So I feel like he needs to maybe tinker and change his tactics a little bit, and we'll see how that goes. But against against the elite powers in women's football, you need to be able to adapt. You need to be able to make changes on the fly that work, that kind of get your team going if they're stuck. So in qualifying, maybe we'll see something like that. And I know if Canada goes to Japan for the Olympics, they're going to have to be even a lot better than they were at the uh, World Cup. But the good news for Canada, they're back-to-back bronze medalists in the Olympics. So I know... They like to talk about that, and they like to build that up. And you just reminded me that with this trip to Japan, in a way, this is a smart preparation trip for the Tokyo Olympics. Yes. Perfect. So, yeah. So, okay. They're they're thinking long term. Well, Harz, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about Canada, and thanks for all the great coverage that you've put out there about the Canadian team. Oh, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you and talking about the Canada team. I'm always happy to come on, and it's uh, fantastic. Thank you. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First off, the U.S. women will wrap up their victory tour with the game versus South Korea this Sunday at Soldier Field in Chicago. This will be the last game for Jill Ellis as head coach. In November, the U.S. women will have two games. Uh, they won't be considered victory tour matches, uh, be a new head coach, and anyone can be called up. So that'll be really fascinating to see what happens. You can see the scheduled details for those games at ussoccer.com. Also this weekend, we have Orlando versus Washington. This is a makeup game for the August 31st game that had to be rescheduled due to Hurricane Dorian. That game will be Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern. You can watch on Yahoo Sports, either online or on the app. And also Saturday, the Houston Dash will make history as they become the first NWSL team to play a game in Mexico. They will face Tigres in Monterrey Saturday night, and the game will stream live on the Tigres Facebook and Twitter feeds beginning at 9.15 p.m. Central. And then, of course, we're getting so close to the NWSL playoffs. The four teams are set. We know who's hosting the semifinals. We just don't know who they're going to host. So October 20th, that's when we have the NWSL semifinals. North Carolina will host the number four seed, which could be Seattle or Portland. And then Chicago will host the number three seed. Again, either Chicago or Portland. We won't know until after the October 12th games to wrap up the season. Both of those games airing live on ESPN2. And then the following Saturday, the NWSL Championship to be played in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, That will be on ESPN. Tickets for the game are on sale now at nwslsoccer.com slash championship. It's going to be a great match. And if you are heading to North Carolina, you definitely want to get there in time to join me at Wosico, which is my 
fun, silly way of saying Women's Soccer Conference. It'll be Saturday afternoon uh, in Cary, not far from the actual stadium. I've done this a couple times before the weekend of the NWSL final. It's just a three to four hour event with a few guest speakers, women's soccer trivia, some audiovisual presentations, and usually uh, a former player who will sign autographs. So look for details about Wosico at keepernotes.com. And of course, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me at keeper at keepernotes.com. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Thanks so much to everyone for listening, especially those who make sure it's just plugging into their phones or they're listening while they're driving or whatever. I really appreciate that. Thanks to everyone who shares this podcast with other soccer fans. As always, many thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl.